Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And my name is Julie Douglas. Camouflage. We've all seen it, right? I um, mm-hmm. A couple years back, uh, I went with my wife up into the rural uh, hills of uh, Georgia. She had a photo assignment where she had to take a picture of this um, this lawyer's um, like rich game room, like this big basketball-sized room just filled with uh, uh, safari animals that he bagged on trips. Did, um, did he call it his man cave? No, it was, I forget what he called it. It was just his... Uh, it's man house. Kill layer or something. No, it was, uh, it was just his trophy room, you know? Okay. Yeah. But it was enormous, and it was like the, the center of the house. It was the, the center of his life, mm-hmm. clearly. And, uh, I mean, he'd even, there were, there were dick dicks there. There were, excuse me? Dick dicks. You know, the little, the little, uh, like antelope type creatures with the little bitty horns, and they jump right, really those. high. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they're so cute, but he'd like bagged like three of these things. Like, who goes on safari and bags a dick dick? It's just. Was there a giant panda head? No. <laughs> No, for because where do you go after that? You know, uh, I mean, kittens. But just about some of these animals were kind of tiny. You know, there were the larger. Um, there were like the, you know the big uh, what is it the big five? I think it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had all those, but then all these other animals and small dick dicks. But that's that's not really. <laughs> this the point. podcast is not about small dick dicks. No, it is about um, camouflage. And on the way up there, we had stop. We had to stop and get a bite to eat. And there, your options are limited once you uh, leave Atlanta. And, uh, and and venture out into the wild. So we ended up going to like a uh, oh what was it? it? wasn't like it was like a Longhorn Steakhouse. I think it was it was, it was the best option that we had at the time. Okay. And so we go there, and there's a there's a family there, and they have a baby dressed in camouflage, uh, and they're you know passing the baby back and forth, and it seemed just really reckless because what if that baby uh, touches the ground and then walks a little ways off into the woods? You'd never see it again. Like it just completely blend in. Yeah, Even if you set the baby down on the grass and it goes still on you, where'd it go? Yeah, but you know what? Maybe that baby has been trained. Maybe. And that baby would climb a tree. Maybe. And then jump on you. Okay. That's possible. Yes. Yeah, I mean, survivor yeah, everybody training, has yeah. different parenting um, agendas. You okay. know, in first rule of parenting, you do not judge. Okay. Other parents. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I won't judge their, uh, their camouflaging of their infant. Uh, I just hope... That he or she didn't get get away into the woods. I, I agree. It's a, it's a concern. I can see that. I can see how you guys were like, whoa. But okay, so it was like a camouflage jumper. How much can you conceivably spend on a camouflage jumper? It's like what five dollars, ten dollars, maybe twenty tops, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yet, if you're the U.S. military, you can spend a phenomenal amount of money on camouflage. About mm, five billion. Yeah. Yeah. This is this. Uh, I think you called it the camo fail. Yeah, the camo fail. Uh, yeah. Specifically, it, it involves something called universal camouflage pattern, which came out in 2004. Yeah, and any military listeners will probably be, well, you are familiar with this, obviously, intimately. Um, this is the pattern that has uh, yeah, been out since 2004, and uh, the U.S. Army finally made the admission this year mm-hmm. that this pattern is not really effective at doing its job, namely camouflaging the soldier. This is about how it went down in, in terms of modern U.S. camouflage history. 1980s. Uh, what, what was the predominant fashion there? What, shoulder pads? and? Uh, uh, yeah, big shoulder pads. I don't know. Um, big hair. Big hair, right. And if you were um, in the U.S. military, uh, in, in the uh, U.S. Army, uh, woodland camouflage was the classic pattern of the day. Um, we're talking black, brown, green, and tan, all of this in smudges and amoeba-like shapes. Mm-hmm. All right? 
you know, good stuff for the woods. 1990s roll along, mm-hmm. new fashions. What's what's fashionable in the 90s? Uh, well, this, this is the um, this is the grunge period, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so maybe this would tra- translate uh, plaid, to the thing. Gulf War as being what they call the cookie pattern, right? Yeah, this is the six colored desert camo uh, pattern, also known as chocolate chips, because it's tan, it's brown. You got some of those amoeba type shapes of both colors going on there. Uh, with flecks of this black chocolate chip stuff throughout, mm-hmm. so it had the name looks here. delicious. Yeah. And we were spending a, started spending a lot of time in the desert in the '90s, so there you go. Then 2003, Three Color Desert comes out. Uh, 19 uh, it actually came out in '92, uh, but we used it on up through 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2003, it saw wide uh, use in the U.S. in its desert operations. And this is uh, a tan with a chocolate-topped green blotch kind of thing going on. Yeah, it's kind of pale green and just a teeny bit of black in it. And then comes Universal Camo, 2004. And we're going to explain uh, just a little bit about where this one came from. But um, they rolled this out in Iraq, Afghanistan, and then it's also used as a default throughout the rest of the military. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pixelated. It looks like something from an 8-bit video game. And um, it, It's kind of different shades of gray. Yeah, and it does not really prove all that effective. And yet, it's been in use for eight years. Yeah, this goes back to uh, problems that we ran into when we um, when we first started getting really heavily invested again in uh, desert uh, combat environments. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were um, we were using the um, the three color desert, but we didn't have enough stuff to go around that was that was decked out in that particular particular camo. So you'd have uh, guys that were given this uh, three this three color desert uh, camo, but then they had dark packs strapped on top of that, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, uh, essentially supposedly like a, like a bull uh, bullseye, right? Because it's mismatched pieces, right? Mismatched pieces, and it makes you vulnerable. So uh, the U.S. Uh, Army says, "All right, let's do this. Let's uh, let's let's get this going. Let's uh, invest some funds. Let's test some patterns." And that's how it's generally it generally goes at this mm-hmm. point. Um, you don't just Pick something off a wall at the Home Depot. Though uh, an article I read did involve it taking did. some soldiers to the uh, Home Depot and having them look at colors. I believe that was the Marines' uniform. Yes, and they took uh, a swatch from Ralph Lauren's collection. It was a brown shade, mm-hmm. and they said, "Okay, let's do this and this." But of course, there was tons of research done, and you know, this was just one piece of it. Yeah, the the Marine one that you mentioned was called. Um, Marpat, and uh, it first appeared in 2002, and and you had uh, you know dozens of candidates that were uh, considered for this role. The Mar- you know Marines from the sniper school at Quantico were involved in picking out things mm-hmm. for it, and it did have a pixelated look to it. It yeah. had this kind of eight bit, sixteen bit kind of pixelated thing going on. And this looked pretty nifty to uh, some people over at the U.S. Army, right? Right. And as you said, there was a process that was going on, and they were testing a ton of patterns. But the problem here, and this is in an interview with the Daily, um, which talked about the story, I guess about a week ago or so here mm-hmm. in June, um, several Army researchers said Army brass interfered in the selection process during the last round, letting looks and politics get in the way of science. Yeah, supposedly something called Desert Brush was, was actually... Um, Making its way to the top. That was that was the one that, uh, that people were were leaning to mm-hmm. uh, towards. That was uh, performing well in tests. But then, program executive officer soldier, which is a, a program uh, that uh, uh, that's in charge of actually making the decisions here, they uh, they allegedly jumped the gun and picked UCP, that uh, universal color pattern that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and put it into production. And this is what has been um, really 
troublesome for a lot of military um, yeah, because personnel. What, what they essentially did was that they, they actually, I say they picked U- UCP, but actually mm-hmm. what they did is they said, well, let's take the colors from Desert Brush. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you've done, you've tested these colors. That's great. But we really like this pixelated thing. So take those colors, dump them into this pixelated format, and let's go with that. That way we'll, we'll have your research, but we also have the right. thing that I like. And then that'll that'll be the finished product, which kind of sounds to I mean they're they're giving into a trend. They're combining two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of strikes me as kind of a pride and prejudice with zombies kind of factor, okay. where if you you know take take two distinct elements, combine it together, it sounds good on paper, but in reality, it's it not wasn't work. very rigorous in term at, at least in the last steps, right? Yeah. And so they kind of shortcut um, the process. And it was some non-commissioned officers who complained to um, uh, Representative John Murtha, who took up the issue in 2009. And finally today we have uh, something else that's come into play, and uh, this is the multicam. This is, I I don't know if you could call it a Band-Aid fix, but in the interim, this is a new pattern that's been introduced to try to fix this problem that the UCP... um, It's kind of a placeholder. Yeah. It's like, let's get UCP out of here because it sucks. Let's get uh, let's get something usable so multicam is here until we can actually finish up uh, deciding and uh, and implementing the camouflage we actually want. Multicam is uh, it's in keeping with the previous brown green tan designs, mm-hmm. but with uh, kind of a hint of Jackson Pollock to it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm glad you brought up Pollock because here's the deal. Um, you know, we're not just talking about this five billion dollar issue of this one uniform. Uh, we're actually talking about the whole culture of camouflage and how it came into play. And it turns out that artists are very much, in fact, cubism is very much responsible for camouflage patterns. And if we go all the way back to 1917, you'll see that the U.S. created the American Camouflage Corps. And that enlisted, or rather core, enlisted the creative talents of renowned painters, sculptors, and designers because they realized that uh, these artists were onto something in terms of cubism, which, you know, takes these uh, scenes from real life and then kind of breaks them apart in patterns, right, and then yeah. reassembles them. That is essentially what uh, these camouflage patterns are doing as well. Camouflage, uh, as the name implies, camouflage, uh, mm-hmm. of course, begins with the French. I believe it's French for hidden cheese. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Did I, did I, I may be wrong on that. Okay. But um, but no, camouflage comes yeah. around. And, uh, I, I, wouldn't that be camouflage? Camouflage. That's what yeah, I'm nice, thinking Yeah, nice, nice. But the, the French uh, first adapted camouflage in 1915. And, I mean, that alone kind of sounds surprising because animals, of course, have been doing it forever. I mean, camouflage yeah. is just part of uh, uh, evolved natural defense techniques. Mm-hmm. And certainly you can point to various things in, in history, uh, in ancient history even, where you can say, oh, well, this this particular force was using camouflage to some degree. Mm-hmm. But certainly as far as modern armies go, I mean, this was modern armies were uniformed ordeals. It was uh, it was about knowing who was who on the battlefield. It wasn't as much about uh, about blending in and be- and uh, disguising yourself. Right. Um, it was about looking sharp. You know, prior to sharp, that, yeah. And uh, when the French started using camouflage, they were really more concerned with camouflaging equipment. They're like, all right, well, let's keep this is an important piece of equipment. Let's make sure the enemy doesn't see it. Yeah. And then it spreads out from there to say, hey, we could actually camouflage ourselves. And uh, that would be beneficial as well. Yeah, actually, there's a, a woman named Claudia T. Covert. Claudia T. Covert. Like, this is the best name for this. She mm-hmm. is a librarian and expert on the history of military camouflage at the Rhode Island School of Design in Providence. And she says that they were um, 
they're actually using camouflage to decoy logs so that snipers could line them or painting decorative sheets of canvas to look like roads. So they're using it for that type of subterfuge, but not necessarily on their person. Right. And so, you know, in 1909, you have the artist and naturalist Abbott Thayer, and he wrote... Yes, the, con- the father of modern uh, camouflage. Camouflage, yeah. yeah. He wrote Concealing Coloration in the Animal Kingdom, and he observed two ways that animals camouflage themselves in the wild, blend and dazzle. And we'll talk about dazzle uh, a bit more, but that's kind of a disruptive pattern that creates confusion. Like, it basically comes down to, you have animals that have dark backs and white underbellies, mm-hmm. which it's... When I think of that, I can't help but think of... Uh, of the uh, of the prospect of of soldiers running around the battlefield essentially in uh, like bunny costumes, you know, where they're painted up. Like, what if they had actually taken that literally? They're like, "Wow, these rabbits have it figured out. <laughs> Let's get some rabbit costumes on that uh, uh, on that battlefield." Yeah, but um, maybe that was the first idea. Yeah, that, you know. Well, um, uh, Thayer notices that you know when the, they they use this uh, in this way, it's not just so that their belly is cute and mm-hmm. looks like it needs to be um, scratched. scratched and. And all, but it's because when the, when the sun hits their backs mm-hmm. and the darkness hits the underbelly, the animals become flat, and they blend in by counterbalancing shadows. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is dazzling, yeah. in action. Yeah, and again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, you know, this, the idea though of camouflage really didn't come into play until General um, Douglas MacArthur, who decided that he wanted 150,000 jungle kits. Um, including some still experimental uniforms. So previous to that, it was used, uh, but, you know, World War II is when we really saw it come into play. Yeah, and boy, did it ever. I mean, you, the, the camouflage of, of the Second World War is pretty amazing. Um, yeah. My, uh, my father was a huge uh, World War II junkie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I grew up always looking at these various, um, various drawings and illustrations of uh, especially uh, German and U.S. infantry mm-hmm. uh, camouflage designs. And it, it just, it, it's crazy. There's so much of it. And some of it is that kind of dazzling uh, effect where it's it's all about like like lightning bolt kind of shapes that kind of break up. Uh, disorient your eyes. Disorient your eyes mm-hmm. and just break up the continuity of the human form. Um, so, so just like any, when you actually start looking at cam, like it's easily to just sort of, Think of camo and be like, ah, camouflage. But when you really start looking at all the patterns, uh, even if you don't know anything about it, you quickly realize, you know, there's something going on here. Like a lot of people are putting a lot of thoughts uh, into um, the creation of these various textiles. Yeah. And let's uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about uh, a bit more about camo basics um, and this thing that we call dazzle. All right, so we're back. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about dazzling. Not to be confused with bedazzling, because you yeah. don't want to bedazzle a battleship. Um, I mean, it might be partially effective, but it's... Although, like, if you were a contestant on, you know, like, Toddlers and Tiaras, that might... Well, actually, that's not really. That's the opposite of camouflage, right? Bedazzling? Yeah. I'm trying to think of how you could bedazzle yourself. The opposite camouflage. of bedazzling? I guess the opposite of bedazzling would be uh, when you take tiny shells and you glue them to something. You know, like you encounter at the gift shops on the Gulf Coast. Right, so some sort of rustic bedazzling. Yeah, yeah, there needs to be movement they could, for that. They could do that to a battleship. They'd be like, "Ah, oh, it's a battleship." No, it's a it's a bunch of shells. <laughs> it's a giant shell. Often ship. you'll see the googly eyes too. Will be used in that? Oh, the googly eyes. That's, Glue a bunch that of shells to something, stuff. put some googly eyes on it, and you got yourself uh, a knickknack. But uh, but now when we're talking about uh, we're talking about dazzling, which uh, you you really need to see an image of this, and I'll make sure that we have an image of this on the uh, blog post that goes up with mm-hmm. this episode. But the, the the easiest way to describe it is imagine getting yourself some blacks, some whites, some darks, some light colors, 
and painting a battleship up like a lightning bolt zebra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, that's a like very it's good. That kind of design description. Uh, yeah, and the reason for this is because you can't hide a hulking piece of metal floating on the horizon, right? Yeah, it's so, one thing to camo a tank, to camo yeah. a jacket, um, even to camo an airplane uh, is a simpler experiment. And make it, it recede into the background, run. yeah. But but a ship, it, there's not a lot you can do. People are going to see it. So what you could, what but what you can do is by adding this, these dazzle elements, you can, for instance, make it difficult for a U-boat to tell which direction it's going in. Yeah, and this is really important to you. I'm glad that you brought up the the U-boat. This is really the impetus for Dazzle because Mm -hmm. in 1917, 925 British ships were sunk by German U-boats over an eight-month period. And so they realized that they they needed to do something. Um, And naval officer and artist Norman Wilkinson convinced the British government to use the principles of Cubism and Dazzle to try to uh, at least throw off the direction that the torpedo might be heading at least by a couple of degrees, yeah. which, you know, would save lives. Yeah. yeah. All you have to do is get it a little little off. And, uh, well, first of all, uh, the morale boosted on the ships. Yeah. Which, which yeah. should come as no surprise because you just turned this dreary, drab ship into, uh, I mean, it looks like a party vessel now. It looks like a piece of abstract art that's taken to the high seas under the command of, uh, you know, uh, Commander Dolly. Or something, but uh, well, yeah, and you're harnessing lightning and zebras, the power of both of them. Yeah, but more importantly, after they started using the dazzling uh, effects, uh, fewer than one percent of American merchant uh, ships that were dazzled were lost. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and so the the cool thing about that is and that the- paint is cheap. That's the other thing yeah. to keep in mind. I mean, it takes a little time to paint up a ship, mm-hmm. but. In the grand scheme of things, that is a really cheap method of defense. And this dazzle effect again is is disorienting the eye. So if you're you're aiming at it, you can't quite figure out if it's heading east or west. And again, this is the key to its success. Um, let's talk about something called component parts. And this is from Tom Harris's article, "How Camouflage Works." He's talking about one of the reasons why it works really well is that when you look at a scene. You're gathering a huge amount of information with your eyes. And so in order for your conscious mind to make any sense of this, your brain has to basically break it down into component parts. Um, So when your brain perceives a long vertical area of brown with green blotches connected to it, you see a tree. Right. And when your brain sees many, many, many individual trees, you see a forest. And I thought this was a great example. Um, He also talks about this idea of continuity. So if you see a stack of 12 blocks and they're all red, you perceive that as one unit. Mm -hmm. Break up the colors. You know, the bottom is blue, the top is red. Then you see two units. Then begin to vary, alternate those colors, and you begin to see a whole bunch of different units. And this is when you see that pattern of camouflage uh, doing the same thing. Yeah, the difference between seeing even a... You know, I'm, I'm discolored, say, human head, human torso, legs, arms, you know, the basic yeah. human form. Break that up even a little bit, and it takes a little more time for us to assemble that into something sensible. I mean, we've all had those moments where you see something a little strange, mm-hmm. and you end up doing like a double take, even a triple take, where it just takes you a second to realize, what is that person doing? Is that a person? Is that, a, you know, what's going on there? Yeah. And that's kind of the same effect. It, uh, it creates a little lag time. Um, in figuring out exactly what you're looking at. And the reason for this is because, and we've talked about this a million times, our brains are so well-trained at creating patterns, seeking out patterns. So mm-hmm. breaking up patterns is really important. And then also um, this idea of contour. 
of following the pattern too. So that's another thing that these modeled effects from um, camo does really well. So if you are a soldier out in a field, what you want is the curve of your body line to then mimic the curve of the landscape. And that's what that, right. that modeled uh, pattern is doing. Yeah, I mean, in, of course, the obvious, you're changing colors to fit the colors of the environment. In mm-hmm. some cases, you're, you, you, know, you even see like snipers that use bits of the, of the flora on their... Um, their, their outfit, maybe the fauna too. I don't know if they get if you get a little super glue happy there, but um, uh, no, that would that would be a terrible idea. But uh, but also, it's important Someone's to note that it. you have elements of cubism going on here as well. Yeah. Um, early 20th century, you had guys like Pablo Picasso, uh, and they're going around and they're breaking things down into tiny cubes. You know, they're uh, they're they're pixelating it all out, smashing it together, and and that is uh, that's basically what's going on. Uh, in some of these camouflage patterns. They're attempting to do that Mm -hmm. to something without actually taking the human body and breaking it into a bunch of pieces. Well, and we've talked about this, too, that that one of the reasons why art moves us so much is that it takes something that's familiar to us and Mm -hmm. makes it unfamiliar and then yet understood again. Yeah. Um, And so it's that that idea where you're breaking apart something that you don't expect. Um, and it works really well in, 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 in this scenario of warfare. To an extent, you're turning soldiers into art on the battlefield. You're turning ships into art. In, in a way, yeah. 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 Um, and, I don't know. So what do you do when you can't camo, when camo's not enough, right? Well, I mean, certainly you can use decoys and misdirection. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we saw that in, uh, in Normandy, I mean, where uh, we, you know, we actually have... Uh, they're actually forcing the enemy to look in the wrong direction mm-hmm. through the use of uh, of a of false preparations for invasion. Um, uh, Are these the the cities that they created the sort of like uh, the flimsy structures? That, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you create you know, fake tanks even mm-hmm. in, in circumstances, uh, you know, or, or fake ships, something uh, to force the enemy to look look away from the thing that is most important. Yeah, I read something like in the Battle of Britain, Allied forces set up more than 500 false cities, um, uh, bases, airfields, and shipyards. And this this is brilliant, right? Because, as you say, it redirects uh, the enemy, and the enemy is using their resources, perhaps even bombing these false cities. Um, but the problem is, uh, these days, in our modern times, is that now we have... Um, very telltale signs of our presence, right? We right. have there, our there more, heat signatures. Exactly. There are more ways to see something mm-hmm. than to see it. We can use uh, thermal imaging to detect the heat, heat source of something. Yeah. We can use uh, sonar to use sound to see something for us. Yeah. Uh, radar uh, sees things, uh, you know, basically feels things in the air for us. Yeah. And lets us know that they are present. And you have enhanced imaging, too, Um but, you know, we can try to thwart this to some degree, like mm-hmm. smoke screens or fog. And yet there's always going to be some sort of movement that indicates our presence. I also read a little uh, bit about people using basically dazzling techniques uh, as face paint to uh, mess with facial recognition software. Hmm. Uh, so That's interesting, interesting, like yeah. urban camo of the future. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, it's kind of like think of, uh, oh, what do you call the, the, the disguise letters, the, the CAPTCHA? Yeah. Stuff on the internet, you know, it has that that sort of mist in front of it, and they're sort of confused a little bit to keep AIs from reading it. Uh, so it's, it's 
I mean, that in a way is kind of camouflage. They're well, to, yeah, yeah. To break up what the AI can see. And we always talk about the, these uh, dystopian futures, and I can see that in terms of you know, if if, if privacy issues went completely awry, and uh, you wanted to you know, have some sort of modicum of privacy that you might do that. You might paint up your face. Well, it's interesting, you know, thinking about pattern recognition, you know, we've talked again and again about how that is core to how humans behave. And it, and it, and then we're talking about taking that knowledge and using it to ensure survival. Mm-hmm. So we know that you're, the predator is out there and then it's using um, pattern recognition to see where we are and then attack us. Uh, you also uh, read accounts when, when people are being advised about public safety. Uh, say someone's a, a diplomat mm-hmm. in, a, uh, in a hostile city. Uh, they often advise them, you know, don't, don't get patterns going, you know, because right. that's if, if, uh, if a don't potential kidnapper knows. Don't go get your morning coffee that, every day at 8 o'clock. Exactly. Same and you're place. forming a pattern. You're, you're opening yourself up to, uh, to attack that way, a potential kidnapping or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, to whatever extent you can, uh, you can jam that pattern recognition on the part of your enemies, uh, the better off you are in terms of survival. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other interesting thing is that the human brain can train itself, or we can train our brains uh-huh. to to see through some of these ruses, right? Are you talking MRI? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about, uh, this is something that's apparently going on uh, here in Georgia, at uh, Medical MRI. College of Georgia, at uh, Georgia Health Sciences University. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, this involves uh, breaking camouflage. The idea that, uh, and this is something that, that people have done for a while, that uh, military has done for a while. You get sn- snipers or whoever out there, you, you get them out in the field and you start showing them some camouflage things. And it forces them to actually, you get used to it. You begin to see through it a little mm-hmm. more. So you, you see the trick enough times, you, you know how it works, right? Uh, and you cut down on the amount of processing time required to see through the misdirection and the uh, and the, the breaking of continuity. Um, so, in this uh, this particular study, though, they uh, they flash a series of camouflage pictures on a computer screen, providing about half a second after each spot um, to see things like um, like a face in a sea of mushrooms, things mm-hmm. like that. So, some of it's a little you know, it's not just a, a camo pattern. And then uh, then they do this deal with like a green light signals a correct answer, red light signals an incorrect answer, and um, they, uh, so the person is learning. Yeah, the as person is learning as they're going. Their mistakes. And they find that uh, an hour of daily training in this kind of computer environment mm-hmm. versus a, a field environment, um, in as little as two weeks, results in proficiency for sixty percent of the the mostly college and graduate school students that, that okay. signed up for this training. So, um, so that's interesting. The idea that uh, that in the future, the the future soldier will have had uh, uh, virtual training in breaking camouflage, but. Uh, this presumably, is, this is useful for a sniper, right? Yes, yeah, right. especially for sniper or special forces kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. But uh, but where it gets, gets uh, interesting here is that you know obviously it's a we're in a lab we're studying how people are breaking camouflage. Well, let's go ahead and get some fMRIs in there. Sure. And look into the brain and watch some fluids flow around, right? So they yeah, found, where's that blood pumping yeah, to? They were able to to corner it to uh, two regions of the temporal lobe found on either side of the brain. And uh, there are areas that are involved in speech and vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, one region is called the fusiform gyrus, and this plays a role in facial recognition mm-hmm. and uh, lights up when people become experts at recognizing certain objects, such as a particular bird species uh, or uh, you know somebody that's an expert on knots or flags. Or cars. Or cars. Car yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the kind of person that can look at them and be like, ah, uh, she was in such and such movie, mm-hmm. and she directed. The, you know, whatever your thing is, that's the area of the brain that that, it, that may be lighting up. 
Um, the parts of the brain involved um, in camo recognition, though, they, they vary with the object uh, of the attention. For example, your ability to easily recognize the car uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be great at understanding camouflage, but uh, but they do see uh, some correlation there between the, the between those parts of the, grin, the brain and breaking the camouflage. Also, doesn't it uh, wasn't there some sort of mention that even if you're a really good game hunter, that doesn't mean that you would necessarily be great at uh, being a military sniper? Yeah, skills don't often overlap perfectly. Uh, yeah, so it's very specialized. Yeah. So that's uh, that'll be interesting to see what is extrapolated from that study uh, in the long run. Yeah. You know what, what they can learn about that sort of specialization. It's interesting. Speaking of um, you know the fact that uh, that, uh, that expert snipers are not always good at, at hunting game. I remember reading that uh, uh, like tail gunners and uh, and ball turret gunners in uh, World War II era bombers mm-hmm. when they're training people for that, they found that uh, game hunters were often better at that because they. Uh, They'd grown accustomed to leading a target, and so they were better oh, able yeah. to shoot at, uh, like, say, a you know, a, a Luftwaffe uh, airplane, a Messerschmitt or something, mm-hmm. um, moving across the sky because they're having to lead it slightly to uh, hit it with those uh, those, uh, those bullets. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, of course, there's going to be a future of camo. Yes. Um, you know, l- like you say, we're we're in an age where our technology allows us to see things. In these various ways, we can you can we can use thermal imaging to mm-hmm. detect the heat of a person or the heat of an engine. So we're we're already working on cooling methods, uh, and we're already employing cooling methods to to make say a ship uh, appear less hot out on the sea. And, and interestingly enough, uh, you also see the, the same thing in grow houses. Um, <laughs> right, because you don't want to see the smoke, you don't want to see the exhaust coming out. Right. Um, yeah, I, I wrote an article on, on grow houses. Uh, did we do a podcast on this? Maybe we that have was, not. That was the olden days, but. Um, but you have situa- you know you have situations where individuals and groups of individuals are putting all this money into growing marijuana in an enclosed environment mm-hmm. and they often are become like spaceships because they're they're you know they're they're adjusting the atmosphere inside of this house uh, they're they're powering it up with light so that these things grow in, you know with 24 hour daylight mm-hmm. and uh, then they're having to worry about outsiders finding it um, to a certain degree, other criminals, but especially law enforcement. And law enforcement just gets smarter and smarter. They're looking into how much power is a grow house consuming, um, you know, who's coming, who's going, but also thermal imaging mm-hmm. because you, you're going to you're going to have a lot of heat going on uh, in that house from all those lights. So you have seen uh, situations where uh, the criminals that are trying to grow this uh, marijuana in a grow house will use sort of double walls. So they'll have um, they'll have the they'll have their room that has the the plants in it and elevated heat, and then you'll have um, this chamber mm-hmm. that is uh, cooled, and then you'll have the wall so that that will disrupt uh, the ability to to see the, all the thermal activity inside the house. So with a ship, they're basically taking that exhaust um, and then running it through the seawater to cool it off so yeah. you don't see that telltale sign. So you don't sign. see that, that exhaust uh, plume of thermal uh, heat. Yeah, and I've also heard about the materials, too, that um, will actually help to keep excess heat from escaping. Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably this is used in clothing, but also on tanks. Yeah. I've seen them used on tanks as well. So it really is now a game of, you know, these these sort of um, biometric measures that we're trying to control. Yeah. Um, at least in terms of not trying to give ourselves away. Um, I like this idea of smart camouflage, the outer coverings that, are su- that will, at least at some point, alter themselves based on computer analysis of changing surroundings. Right, yeah. It sounds very futuristic. I'm loving it. 
I just wonder when it's going to come into play and what exactly it will be. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be something similar to, I mean, the idea that you could change the color of your car at any moment. Uh, you know, push a button, you want it red, you want it green, you want it blue, and you just uh, you just push yeah. a button and it changes. Um, it's going to be something like that, except it's going to be tied into to smart technology. So that essentially, like even if you were limited to those uh, some of those designs we talked about at the start of the, the program, mm-hmm. uh, it might be something as simple as, uh, you know, imagine you have a little uh, sensor on your clothing mm-hmm. and it detects whether this is an environment that is more of a woodland camouflage environment or a six-color desert environment, and then it'll shift accordingly. Okay. Um, now, the more outlandish examples of, Future camouflage, of course, involve bending light, and they involve invisibility. This or, is the invisibility cloak that's come up yeah. before a lot in the media. And we have an article on this that I've, I've worked on, uh, along with at least another, one other uh, writer have, have tinkered with it, because we're constantly updating it, because mm-hmm. there's always some sort of new, quote-unquote, invisibility cloak technology coming around. And yeah. the article's called How Invisibility, Invisibility Cloaks Work. The schemes for this vary. There's There are some very sort of crude schemes that involve... Uh, using a video camera and projecting what's behind you on the front of you, mm-hmm. which is is very limited and clunky, but could potentially be used, especially with um, especially with with uh, like say a building or something, you know, something stationary, something stationary. Uh, likewise, you have uh, a number of uh, experiments that involve the bending of light. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you know, using nanomaterials to recreate what happens in a mirage mm-hmm. to hide an object, basically making it to where li- light waves move around it, so that you you end up seeing uh, maybe a distortion uh, of what is behind the object rather than the object itself. And there are also nanoparticle um, experiments that have uh, have tested this ability uh, to bend uh, sound as well, so that you won't hear the object. Yeah. Uh, but these these tests um, are all taking place at a very small scale, often on only two dimensions. So it's not something that's uh, it's necessarily field-ready right now. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly something we could talk about for a whole other podcast, too. So you're, yeah. only, you're only getting your toes wet in uh, invisibility cloak here. But suffice to say that we're working on it. There's also uh, something I recently read. Researchers from the University of Bristol have created artificial muscles that can be transformed at a flick of a switch to mimic the uh, camouflaging abilities of creatures like squid and zebrafish. Oh, yeah, Cattle, and, uh, cuttlefish as well. Yeah, yeah, cuttlefish, right. This, this you know, near-automatic, complete transformation of the color of the skin and the texture. Uh, researchers are trying to re- reproduce these techniques in smart clothing to trigger these same tricks and this is interesting. The smart clothing is made of soft, stretchy artificial muscles and are based on specialist cells called chroma, uh, chromatophores that are found in amphibians, fish, reptiles. Um, and the color changes in these guys, these organisms, can be triggered by changes in mood and temperature. So they're trying to create the same set of circumstances mm. for this clothing. And the fast extension of squid's muscles is mimicked by using dielectric elastomers. Uh, smart materials made of polymer, which are connected to an electric circuit and then expand when voltage is applied. And then they return to their original shape when they're short-circuited. Huh. So, of course, this is dependent on, on having some sort of motherboard or some, something that's going to, to trigger this. But it's an intriguing idea that the material that you're wearing could actually expand 
And to a certain extent, be alive, alive even. It's, it's yeah, kind of yeah. like a, a weird biomechanical HR gear kind of a suit that these yeah. soldiers will be wearing. Yeah, it should get second skin that, yeah. that could monitor the, the environment and then change accordingly. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, but what I think is um, most important here is that actually the, the camouflage uh, snafu that we talked about at the beginning is being... Uh, addressed yeah. this $5 billion uh, snafu that, that wasn't really effective. But it does bo- it does underline, you know, it, it, that story raises the question, how can you spend $5 billion on camouflage? And it's important to note that that $5 billion wasn't only the design of it, but also the physical production of it. Right, so, yeah. So the it's, materials. Yeah, so it wasn't just, let's pay these guys $5 billion to sit around no, the lab yeah. and design it. No, they're also um, rolling it out. But but still, it, a lot of money goes into this because a lot of thought goes into it, a lot of science goes into it, and uh, and, and a lot of skill. It's not just a, a situation of hey, give me some green and some brown because these guys are fighting in a green and brown world. Well, I was thinking about you know, um, nearly a hundred years ago, th- this camouflage was revolutionized or actually created. So it's sort of you know past due time here to actually have another sort of revolution in terms of the materials. A camelution. A camelution. Knowing everything that we have available to us. Now, do I think that, you know, these sort of smart skins um, are going to happen tomorrow? Probably not because the technology is so new. But I'm glad that there is some focus now, at least on what we currently have available for soldiers. I think it's really important that people start thinking about the future of that and, and what could make them safer. Yeah. We should probably mention the Predator movies real quick. Did you ever see any of those? Uh, is the predator, is it sort of like, I see this creature in my head and it's, it's got crazy long tangled hair. Yeah, he's got like dreadlocks and crab face. And, yeah. uh, in the first film he, he fought Arnold Schwarzenegger and his muscled up friends. Oh, um, yes, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and it, that was an interesting, fi- it was always a fun film, uh, to watch when you're a kid, even though it's not really a kid's movie. But I certainly watched it when I was younger and, uh, and was really into it. Um, but it's uh, it's you know it's a film where you have an alien that's using advanced camouflage technology mm-hmm. to uh, you know so one of these uh, light bending sort of technologies that we were talking about uh, you know looming in our future, and then uh, there is a scene where it's using thermal imaging to hunt Arnold, and then Arnold uh, accidentally uh, survives uh, an encounter with the creature by coating himself in mud, which uh, at least in the film uh, is effective to mask his thermal um, signature. So the the creature ends up looking right at him, but doesn't see him because he can't see the heat that he's emitting. Which seems unlikely if he was well, such a sophisticated alien. Well, talk about unlikely. Then the next thing Arnold does is he gets some sticks together and makes an extremely powerful longbow out of them. So, well, yeah, that's because he's Arnold. Yeah, but yeah. St- still, it's one of those films where Arnold does get his butt kicked the entire film, and. Uh, I forget if he survives or not. He sort of survives, I think. But it's it's kind of a it's not a it's not one of these Bruce Lee situations where Bruce Lee just kicks butt the entire time, and you're like, wow, there's not really any thrill going on here at all. You know, what would be great is if every Arnold Schwarzenegger film at the end, mm-hmm. it would, the last scene would always be like part of his face peeling off, and then like you know the machinery underneath. <laughs> okay. Someone could just fix that for every single film. Okay. Uh, I mean, especially if they did it in um, comedies. And, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, yes. His next uh, Danny DeVito picture. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, uh, so that's uh, that's camouflage for you. Um, I should probably call our actual robot over here. Carl? Not Carl.
Carl. Uh, his name's Arnold. I thought you just called him. Oh, you said call him. Call him over. I yeah. was like, did you rename our robot without talking to no, him? No, I've just I've transformed uh, formed Carl into a But verb. I kind of like Carl, i got to say. All right. Well, we received a lot of cool emails uh, regarding uh, some of our more movie-based stuff recently. Um, well, not really. Well, some of this movie. Like uh, our horror episode. Where we're mm-hmm. talking about what horror does to the brain, how we perceive a horror movie and how it affects us. And this is a great little Facebook share here from a listener by the name of Tara. Tara writes in and says... Uh, just listened to the episode on horror and loved it. I've been a horror fan for as long as I can remember. And like you, Julie, when my son was born, I went off it a bit and uh, and sort of felt like, OMG, that could be my son being ripped apart. Growing up, this is where the email gets awesome. Though. Growing up, I befriended Freddy Krueger, if that's possible, and would go to sleep watching Elm Street and would put on my Freddy glove if I had nightmares. <laughs> Oddly not about Freddy. If another quote-unquote monster was in my dream like Jason, Freddy would come and kill him, and then we'd go hang out. Um, another time, I went to a, into a haunted house, and there was a Freddy in there, and I stood and started talking to the guy, uh, and as another group came through, he grabbed me up onto his stage as a prop while they went past. Sadly, nothing in film scares me anymore. It's all been done. It's all predictable. The only thing that has scared me in the last past 15 years has been uh, Blair Witch because uh, it was all left to your imagination uh, as I read the book uh, with all the police reports, uh, et cetera, before uh, it came out. Anyway, great podcast. And that's a phenomenal uh, little account there. I, I love that Freddie was her talisman. Yeah. You know. Yeah, against other evil. That's uh, that's, that's pretty neat. I mean, it's it's also interesting when you think of when you're thinking in terms of dreams and uh, and just sort of uh, tinkering with your mind a bit uh, in terms of, of how you think about things. Okay, um, because you essentially she's turning uh, turning Freddie into this uh, this point of strength, this kind of uh, totem, you know? Yeah, yeah. This kind of a uh, spirit animal, really. Like her spirit animal is Freddy Krueger. <laughs> um, and if, if she were in a Freddy Krueger movie, if uh-huh. she were a character, she would essentially use Freddy Krueger against Freddy Krueger, which is uh, which is kind of okay. to think about. Well, so now, of course, we need to know from people what their spirit animals are in terms of horror figures. Ah. <laughs> yeah. What is yours? Oh, in terms of horror figures? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I don't know. I had a dream the other night where Ridley Scott was in it. He's not really a horror creature per se but but there's is there like one creature some sort of um i don't know is there is there someone who much like freddy that you'd be like hey you can hang with me you can be my my wingman i don't gamera i guess i love gamera he's on my desk he's a giant you know giant yeah, japanese yeah. turtle he's a friend of children he sh- shoots fire out of his mouth he's a okay. good guy okay so and, and i i'm pretty confident in gamera's ability to defend me against most things and he's kind of like he's also like he's the great turtle you know uh, on the back, he carries the world, that kind of a thing. Oh, boy. There you go, being deep again. Well, you think about it, and uh, you can come <laughs> back with one, too, the next time uh, when someone writes us in with their horror movie spirit animal. All right. Uh, okay, we should probably go with that. I have a whole stack of emails, but uh, I'll, yeah. uh, I'll get to some more in the next episode. Uh, but anyway, if you guys want to share something with us, if you want to share your horror movie um, spirit animal, if you have some thoughts about camo, I know we have some listeners in the military um, and, and, and other listeners who are at least, uh, you know, really into military themes and military subjects, uh, let us know what you think. What's your take on on, on camo, and what's your favorite camo uh, from uh, either modern or historical 
um, armed forces. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And you can also find us on Twitter, where we are Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMindAtDiscovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.